Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Jack Henderson. Now Jack is a property investor, but what makes him unusual is that by the age of 22, he had over $3 million worth of property. He purchased his first investment at the age of 18 and paid $720,000 for his first one. We have a chat to him about millennials and whether they're all spoiled good for nothing brats, what his philosophy is, how he got to where he is, and the types of properties that he looks for when he's building his portfolio. It's a great interview with a young up-and-comer, and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. Here's Jack. Jack Henderson, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and I've been looking forward to this one for a little while because I think you're going to be one of those controversial characters with your young success. Yes. Um, look at me sounding all over the hill. Let's um, let's kick it off. Just give us an intro into to who you are and, and what you do. So I'm uh, 22 years old. I'm uh, in mining and earth moving, actually. And I'm a, a property investor with a portfolio worth over three million dollars. Nice. And we're gonna we're gonna dig into that well and truly. What posters were on the bedroom wall as you were growing up? Uh, posters, um, just your typical football. Um, I was into motocross, so it was a lot of motocross stuff. Nothing that sort of could turn me down to the real estate path. Anything, right. anything like that. So just your typical boys' cars, you know, football motocross all that type of stuff as i got older girls i guess <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah so pamela anderson or she's a bit too uh, old I think, yeah she was a bit of older generation right okay who do we got like emily radarowski or whatever her name is right, yeah okay. she's, she's a new school <laughs> interesting i'm glad i'm getting uh, made up to date in all sorts of different areas today exactly um let's uh let's talk about property how, how did you get started in property or interested in property and what was your first investment so the way I got started was uh, I've, I've always had an interest. So when I was a young kid in school, high school and, and in primary school, I wanted to be an architect. So I loved yeah. drawing and designing and stuff like that. So that was always my goal to be an architect. And then as I got older, obviously school wasn't really for me. I was successfully expelled from two high schools and <laughs> I soon, nice. soon learned that school wasn't my thing. And then when I was about 12 years old... 13, yeah, 12 or 13 years old, my parents were selling our family home to upgrade onto acreage. And I was just so engrossed in the process. So obviously selling was very exciting and then finding the new property for my parents. Yeah. So I would spend hours and hours and hours on real estate and, and domain, shortlisting properties and showing mum and dad, like, oh, look, this is what I found, this is what I found, even though I had no idea what a budget was, I yeah. used to find the best properties. <laughs> and that's where I guess it all started. Um, and then as life moved on, uh, obviously the internet was getting bigger and I started doing more research and and seeing what property could bring you, the lifestyle it could bring you, and I just got engrossed in it, Yeah, um, something crazy. Um, and then obviously the first purchase was at 18 in uh, Coogee. And, and talk to us about this. I mean, you bought your first property at 18. Um, yeah. Come on, there's a story. This was handed actually, to you, right? It's actually quite the opposite. So my father grew up. Um, out in the bush, had a very, very rough upbringing. Um, my mother grew up in Mount Druitt, was housing commission. And so I guess from a young age, it was it was work hard to get where you want to be. Now, my parents have done well for themselves. They're in a very good position now, but they had no handouts. There was yeah. no trust fund. There was no inheritance. Um, and and that's, that's why I believe I'm where I am now is because of the upbringing. It was work hard to get where you want to be. There's no handouts. Yeah. So obviously got kicked out of school at sort of 15, and I worked 
uh, with dad and, and saved and saved until I was 18, almost 19 and had the deposit and, and went on my way. The bookies odds were against you at 15 getting expelled from two schools, but you've, you've turned it around and yeah. annoyingly you've, you've, you have actually busted your ass and saved money. How, how did you go from being expelled at, at 15 to get to the point where you can purchase a property not just a property but a property in sydney at 18 yeah so yeah if you ask my mom what she thought i was going to be when i got expelled at 15 it probably wasn't where i am now <laughs> but i guess i believe adversity creates success so obviously being expelled from school most people think you know he's going to be a dead shit and be nowhere so there was sort of a chip on my shoulder thinking okay i've been expelled everyone's got the bad idea you know in the area everyone probably thought that I was going to be a nobody so I thought I have to do something with myself I have no qualifications I only just scraped in to get the school certificate and I thought I have to do something so from from 15 onwards when I started working full-time I saved I mean don't get me wrong I still enjoyed my life as as a teenager but I did save a lot of money I was earning good money at a young age and and obviously got to the time where I had the deposit and thought okay let's do something with it yeah and wasn't put it all on black. You actually no, exactly. thought very clearly about how do I turn this into something that's going to set me up. Yeah, exactly. So when I first started, there wasn't an end goal in mind. It was just sort of there's a stigma in Australia is everyone owns their own home. Yeah. So it was just let's buy a house. Yeah. That was that was the thing. And then obviously as I got further into the process, I did more research, started to go to seminars. Um, you know, met some great people, and then you get more into the process and start learning a lot more and obviously learning where to buy and what not to buy and all the rest of it. Yeah. And that's where it all sort of stemmed from. Now, um, getting back to you, I'm, I, I did promise you off camera I was going to give you a bit of shit for being being a young, <laughs> successful <laughs> exactly. property investor. If, if old fogies like myself, um, and I'm so disappointed, you know, I'm 36 now and I still sort of feel young, but everyone in the office is telling me they haven't heard of Brian Adams. You've still and, got 60 years, mate. You've still yeah, got 60 years at least. Um, but if I want to pick on millennials such as yourself, um, the low-hanging fruit comments are lack of work ethic, no real ability to pleasure delay, i.e. we want the next iPhone X or if, if that's what we're even up to. But is there something to this? Do, do you see that in, in, in your peers? You know, I don't believe that at all. I believe that you do what you want to do. Yeah. Like just because in the past it's been save money, buy a house, get a family, all the rest of it. If that's not what you want to do, don't do it. Yeah. You know, what makes like travel's a massive thing now, especially for my generation. Everyone wants to travel the world, see the world, and they're happy to do that. If, and I believe if that's what you actually want to do, not because it's what everyone else is doing, but if you actually want to travel and you actually want to experience the world and, 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 and have the new iPhone and wear the clothes, then that's fine. But obviously don't get 10 years down the track and say, okay, I've got nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm nowhere. My career is sort of not anywhere. You have to be happy to say, you know, the first 10 years of my life, then that's what I did. Because now, obviously, moving into the future, life expectancy is higher. Um, you've got more time to do things. So if yeah. you say travel from 20 to 30 years old and you're 30, 30 years old and you've got no money, no career prospects, but you've traveled and done exactly what you want to do, you've got 60 years left to live. Yeah. So I believe. And if in, in, in the opposite, if you want to do what I do, like I've saved a lot of money and created a portfolio for myself, and that's great too, but that's not for everyone. Yeah. In, in saying that, though, there's something different about you compared to your peers, right? Like it's not just they really wanted to travel, so they traveled. You really wanted to invest, so you invested. There's a little bit more to it, right? Definitely, yeah. And as obviously as like they say, the crowd you hang around, you know, the, your five closest friends is sort of what you become. And that's I, I believe I've surrounded myself with good people from a young age. 
and that's why I'm in this position. I've obviously got a different mindset to my friends. Um, uh, yeah. I don't believe there's that right and a wrong way, like, yeah. at all. If, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But in the same time, you then see property's too expensive, I'll never be able to afford to buy a property, blah, 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 and then they go piss their money up against the wall. Yeah. So, and I believe that's rubbish because it's not too expensive. You can buy a property, they just don't want to sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes me think I just really scraped through with um, with my five mates growing up. Shout out to them. Anyway, um, I'm interested in how achieving success, and you'd have to say, at, at least at your age, you'd have to be measured as successful. And certainly, the trajectory you're on could put you in the you know rarefied air with 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 net worth down the track. How has that success impacted the people around you? Um, have they embraced the you know the free rides on on boats, or has it not all been positive? Yeah, um, I think my family is massive support, and they're very very proud. My real friends. Yeah, they're, they're stoked for me. And and then at the same time, from being in the position I am and doing podcasts and, you know, all the other stuff, um, I've had a lot of young people reach out to me and ask for advice, and, and that's great. But there's a lot of people out there with the whole tall poppy syndrome and, yeah. you know, that people want to see you do well but never better than them. Yeah. So, yeah. And does that motivate you a little bit that you might have a, a little sort of uh, bleacher full of people waiting for Jack Henderson to fall? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so and I guess not because I do this for me, not for anyone else. So, you know, yeah, it does and it doesn't. Like, yeah, I love to see people go, oh, you know, talk and talk and talk. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, you know, his mum and dad give him this and his mum and dad, that's that's just the the thing. Question one on this podcast. (laughs) Where'd the money come from? But at the same time, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I do what I do because it's what I enjoy, you know. I go on the boat and and I live the life I do because this is what I love to do, not to put it on Instagram, not to big note myself. It's got nothing to do with that. (laughs) If only our lives could be like our Instagram pictures. Exactly right. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah, sure, everything looks classy and, you know, business class and the boats and all the rest of it. But in reality, that's what 10% of my life, the other 90% is working and saving and... Putting out with interest rate hikes and all the rest of it. <laughs> now you won a one-on-one lunch with uh, Chris Gar- Chris Gray, who's uh, an esteemed guest on this podcast on a previous previous episode. How did he assist you with with purchasing property and just the mindset and 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 getting to where you are today? Yeah. So yeah, I bought a. a it was a charity lunch. So Chris did something for charity, and I, I purchased that lunch. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the best fifteen hundred dollars ever, ever spent. I reckon that's returned me tenfold. Wow. Just in the way that I've been introduced to people, the the crowd that I now um, know, the mindset. If I have any questions, we've become close enough friends for me to ring him and have a chat. So it, it was a massive, massive help. But at the same time, I did think that when I purchased that, I thought, okay, well, if I spend fifteen hundred dollars, everyone thinks well, that's a lot of money to go for lunch for someone. But <laughs> I thought the return on $1,500 could be ridiculous and yeah. it has been. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm presuming it's not a Subway lunch, but even still, um, yeah. it's a fair amount to, to spend. 100%. But you have to spend money to make money. And in the same way, I could go spend $1,500 on a TAFE course, That would, that's what it was like to me. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't go do a TAFE course or a uni degree for property investing. Yeah. And you can't just go and meet those sort of people. Yeah. So, I thought, why not spend yeah. the money and and see what can come of it and it's it's been quite rewarding 
Awesome. And, and tell us about this first acquisition. Was that uh, in, a, in an area that you're already looking to purchase or was that something that Chris was, was, was highlighting or yeah. how, how did you land on that? And talk us about the numbers and the decision-making process. So I knew nothing about the area whatsoever. So obviously going to seminars, um, I went to a lot of seminars and everyone has different theories and practices, what they do and where they buy and how they do it. And then I come across Chris at a seminar and was just engrossed in what he did and the yeah. lifestyle, the property, um, you know, his portfolio had brought him. So, um, started learning more and more about it, the areas, and then obviously thought, okay, this is where I want to buy, this is where I need to buy. Yeah. And then did my own due diligence and research and open homes and auctions and all the rest of it. And um, eventually, obviously, after being pre-approved and, and got the money, I eventually purchased a two-better in Coogee. Um, it was an entry-level two-better, but nonetheless, yeah. it was still in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. At a time when those properties were fairly well in demand for tenants, but you know that market was about to take off, or had it already started? It had already started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And being eighteen in those areas, you know, with pimples on your face and uh, a squeaky <laughs> voice, <laughs> yeah, the agents don't take you too seriously. Yeah. So, but nonetheless, I got it over the line, and we purchased and. And uh, yeah, the rest is history now. How much do you think that was an important springboard for you? I mean, that area sat fairly still for maybe almost a, a decade. W- was the success that you got out of that what sort of spurred you on as a springboard? Or did you, do you think that even if that was still sort of fairly fairly neutral now, you'd still be on the same path? Yeah, so definitely, definitely um, fast-tracked buying more properties, of course, because if properties aren't growing, you can't release equity. Sure. So it made the process quicker, but at the same at the same time, I, I took action. I went and purchased that property. So I'd say, yeah, there's some luck to it, and yeah, the market moving has, has obviously fast-tracked to where I am now, but if I wouldn't have purchased, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So regardless if the market moved, I, I mightn't have three properties or three million in property, but I'd still be still be buying you know i would have to save more and and use some of my own funds but um yeah i mean i believe taking action is everything yeah so i took action and and, and it was rewarding yeah now you talked about the squeaky voice and the and the pimples um i know that previously you were denied loans was was that something to do with the age or did was it a perceived inexperience because i mean i was chatting to a banker the other day and they basically sort of said character counts for a lot it's not just the numbers was was, was that a problem for you or was it more about the lending environment yeah so it, it was probably a bit of both yeah. i believe being younger is better for the banks you have more time to pay the loan off yeah, exactly um obviously you're young I was living at home I had a great income and no expenses mm-hmm. but at the same time yes there's lending conditions yeah. so the lending was starting to get tighter I mean nothing like it is now yeah. but where there's a will there's a way so I thought you know there's obviously got to be some way to get the money and, and I did get it Yep. And, and talk to me about finance now. Uh, obviously, things are, are pretty tough given the changes that, that APRA have brought out and the Banking Royal Commission. Do you anticipate that being a, a, a difficulty for yourself now as you grow the portfolio or are the properties fairly positively geared where you think you'll you'll be okay with, with, with finance? Yeah. So, the properties definitely aren't positively geared. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like the last the last property, the finance is very difficult to get. Yeah. Um, but again, there's, where there's a will, there's a way. So obviously into the future, you know, joint ventures, yeah. um, fractional ownership, um, even moving into shares if you yeah. can't get, you know, there's always somewhere where you can put your money. Sure. So 
Um, but I believe uh, it'll get harder, but you just have to be more creative in getting the finance. Yeah, yeah. It might be a wait and see thing too. Exactly. And I don't think it'll be a forever thing. Yeah. Obviously, in the past, there's been different hiccups in the roads, and there's always a way to move around them. Yeah. Now, paying 720k for your first property is that right? It was. That's a that's a pretty big start. I, I'm interested. Um, of course, how you save for the deposit. Obviously, living at home, good impact, uh, good income. But was there a point where you kind of thought? I could invest now in a cheaper location and you were sort of weighing that up or you're really just sort of hell-bent on that particular market? Um, obviously, at the start, there was I wasn't set on any market because I didn't know. So, yeah. as I started moving on my journey, um, I went through lots of different um, sort of people's um, ways of investing and yeah. come across Chris's and I thought, this is, this is for me. Yeah. So, after I found that, um, strategy that was sort of it. I was set on that. Yeah. So after that, I never thought of no. Maybe I should get two cheaper properties and yeah. maybe positively geared. I just thought no. This is for me. This is what I need to do. So you had patience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I guess you could do it. There's lots of different ways you can do it, and there's lots of people that have done it lots of different ways and made money in every way. Yeah. So it's what works for you. And this at the moment, at this point in time, it's worked for me. Obviously, with lending getting tighter now, it's going to be harder to keep buying negatively geared properties. Yeah. With serviceability, but. Yeah, and, and hopefully that changes a little bit. I, yeah. I think the banks will, will loosen that up a little bit. But as you say, where there's a will, there's a way. There's always brick X and whatever exactly. the other one I mean, is. I, and- that sort of wouldn't be for me. But even like um, joint ventures, if you say have three three people in a million-dollar property, it's yep. sort of $300,000 each. Yeah. Um, or even two people. Well, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat. Yeah. So, yeah. So, after Coogee... Talk us through to now. You've got the the three properties in the portfolio. Where did you go after Coogee? What what were you sort of thinking at the time? What was your strategy and and, and, and how did you get to today? So after Coogee, it was um, obviously we settled on that property and that was 18 months down the track. Um, I went again, got pre-approved again and bought another two-bedroom Maroubra. Yep. Um, and, and then after that again, it was sort of another... 18 months again and I just recently purchased a two-bedder in, in Bar Beach in Newcastle yep. which was at the start of this year in April. And capital growth on that one so far or? In Bar Beach? Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting story. So I bought Bar Beach, um, I paid six sixty five for it because and that property's got to be worth. Try find that in Bar Beach. Exactly yeah. right and <laughs> it's got to be worth seven seven fifty every day of the week. I've got yeah. an independent valve done and that come back at 700 Yeah. Um, but the reason for it was there was a special levy on the property yeah. um, and they did major building works. Right. So I worked out, I got the independent valuation done and it came back at 700 and the special levy was about $40,000. So I worked out if I could buy this property for $40,000 under under obviously the 700, I got it for 665. Yeah. When the renovation is done, the property is going to be worth at least another $100,000 yep. and I've bought it for market value. But you've got to have the cash exactly. and that eliminated some of your competition because there'd be a lot of people who were maybe maxed out and didn't have the money exactly. to do it. And, it. and that sat on the market for a long time, that property. So I think the original asking was seven fifty, yeah, and and it just sat there for months and months and months because a lot of people, when they buy a property, they don't want the hassles. Yeah. And obviously, a major building work is, is a massive hassle. Yeah. So I think that turned a lot of people off, but I was pretty confident in my ability to be able to maneuver that, and and I've done it now. So yeah, and Bar Beach is. Would you say for people that don't know Bar Beach very well, would you sort of say it's a bit of a sort of a Coogee equivalent in Newcastle? It is. It is. So it's very very similar to Coogee and Bondi's. It's yep. 
it's beachfront, it's your young professionals living there, the, yep. you know, you've got apartments next door to your four and five million dollar homes. So it's very, very similar to, yep. to your eastern suburbs. What about Maroubra? Tell us about that particular property and how that's been going since you've had that in the portfolio. So Maroubra is doing very well, actually. We're getting very good rent for that property. Um, I see Maroubra as two suburbs in one. So you've obviously got Maroubra Beach and then you've got Maroubra like up near the junction yeah. um, and we're down on Maroubra Beach. So it's not obviously as popular as your Bondi's and your, your Coogees and your Tamaramas, but yeah. it's still an eastern suburb. Yeah. It's still a beautiful suburb. It's still blue chip. Exactly right. And it's still a high growth suburb. So it is, it's doing quite well. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm interested in, in any of the sort of learnings that you've had. Is there, is there anything that you would change about your process today? It sounds like it's all gone fairly, fairly well. Yeah. So process, nothing, because I believe it's a journey. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done well with getting nothing wrong to this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to change something, you know, maybe I would have went and borrowed half a million dollars and invested in Facebook's IPO. But at the same time, you know, for my journey, I've done well. I think I've made no mistakes because I've educated myself along the way and and spoke to the right people. So it's gone quite well. And we're all billionaires in hindsight. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, Yeah. And it's it's only been a short journey so far. So it's not like I can look back, you know, 10 years ago and say, I wish I bought more property. You're not sitting on the porch in your rocking chair sort of saying, you know, oh, my life is forfeit. Here's what I've done. You've got plenty of time to go bankrupt eight times and bounce back and still have the sort of lifestyle you need. Um, Not that that is the trajectory for you, though, but, you know, like it's one of those things. A lot of the most successful people in the world don't necessarily get it right straight away. You've got plenty of buffer to work with. What's the plan for the for the portfolio for the next few years? And are are there any particular markets that you've got your eye on? Yeah. So as for markets, it'll it'll stay blue chip. So blue chip in either Sydney and now Newcastle. I'm very interested in Newcastle. So I think my next purchase will be another Newcastle purchase as obviously lending's tighter now, your serviceability's lower. Yeah. So it'll be another two better in, you know, your Meriwether's Bar Beach, Cooks yeah. Hills. And what sort of price point are we talking there? So I plan to buy within the next 12 months. Yeah. And obviously the market's moving well at the moment, but we're looking at around that half a million dollar mark yeah. to sort of 700 yeah. within that price bracket. And, you know, I haven't approached obviously a mortgage broker yet to to see what my serviceability is going to be like, but I am, I'm pretty confident I'll get the money, whether it be through a joint venture or by myself. Yep. And what's sort of the the end goal for yourself? Obviously, lifestyle is an important thing to you. Um, is it a matter of you want to get to the point where you're professional Instagrammer, or you know, like what are we talking? Is it just you're not necessarily thinking about your exit strategy yet? Yeah. So yeah, I definitely have an end goal in mind. My end goal is 10 million in property. Yeah by sort of 30, 35. Yeah. Um, and then to, yeah, enjoy a good lifestyle. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm I'm very passionate about um, helping people that are less fortunate. Yeah. So that's a massive driver of mine too, to, to get overseas and help out yeah. in sort of Africa and places like that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, that's a long-term goal. Yeah. So for, for now, it's to enjoy my life. I plan on moving into a new career path in the next year or so into yeah. the buyer's agent role. Yeah. So that's where my mind's at, at at this point in time. Now, you've got people hitting you up saying, Jack, I'll have what you're having. Um, t- talk to me about the herbs and spices of, of how you've been able to, to get this $3 million in property and, and, and being on the boats and that sort of stuff. Is 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 this just, uh, I guess, a result of that or are you passionate about staying in the property space, helping other people, the inside deals for yourself? What's the sort of motivation there? 
Yeah, so the 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 the, the easy thing to it is hard work, yeah. is working hard and, and being strict, I mean, being disciplined into, you know, if you want it, you have to work hard, you have to save your money, you have to, you know, get educated and all the rest of it and, and, and put it into place. But, I mean, when I started, it was a little bit easier than it is now. Serviceability now is a really big pain. My brother's going through the property purchase time, like the process at the moment, and serviceability is tight. But at the same time, you, you, you can still get it done. Yeah. Yeah, so I just believe, yeah, where there's a will, there's a way. That's yeah. that's my biggest thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it sounds a bit like, you know, when my careers advisor asked me at, at 16, like, what do you want to do with your life? I'm sort of asking you at 22, you know, what, what's your what's your end plan? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at it too, like it, it sounds young, 22, but let's just start. Like, like Chris, for example, he started at 22, retired at 31. Yeah. And that was sort of what a nine-year journey. Yeah. If you look at my journey, I started at 15, I'm now 22. So, it's still a seven-year journey. Yeah. I guess it's, I just started young. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. It's all relative, of course. Exactly. It is relative. Talk to me about the blue chip. So, we talked about blue chip. You've purchased in blue chip areas in Newcastle and Sydney. What is it about blue chip? What does blue chip mean? What is it about the characteristics of those areas that are attractive that that are, you know, making that a strong part of your sort of portfolio? Well, I guess it's just, um, I mean, if you look at past suburb performance, if you look at these suburbs over the last 30 years, they've done incredibly well. Yeah. Um, which gives you a good indication of the next 30, what it's going to be like. Now, I see a lot of people nowadays, they want the instant equity, as people say, and they want the next hotspot and the mining towns and all the rest of it. But I I don't believe that's investing. I believe that's speculating. So if if a suburb hasn't done well for the past 10 to 15 years, sure, there might be infrastructure going into it and and all the rest of it. But to me, that's still speculation. So with Blue Chip, obviously... You've got young professionals living in the suburbs that pay premium rents. There's a line down the street to to rent these suburb uh, the peace properties in 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 summer. Yeah. And like when you're buying a million dollar unit or a half a million dollar unit next to homes worth ten and twenty million dollars. Yeah. The price is relative to the suburb, so it sounds expensive, but in reality, the people in those areas can afford them. Yes. So, I just believe it's a safer bet. I mean, I'm not worried if the property goes up next year or the year after i know that in 10 and 15 and 20 years time those suburbs are going to outperform you know the yeah the outer suburbs and it's the same if you look at business i mean if you look at your amazons and your facebooks and your ubers and your you know teslas these these are blue chip shares and they're always going to outperform you know your, your quick buck you're trying to make a quick buck and it never works and is it with the blue chip strategy, is that the reason why you're getting into apartments other than houses? Not necessarily you think apartments are a great in investment sort of in a vacuum. It's sort of like, well, the houses in that area are worth $5 million or $10 million. So, you're able to get into that blue chip area for a lot less price by purchasing an apartment. Exactly. And then at the same time, I believe the upper end of the market, say in your $5 million plus, is very volatile. So, yeah. it's it's very... Obviously, uh, based on the economy, if the economy is doing well, people have got a lot of money. If yeah. the economy is not doing so well and they need to offload those properties in a hurry, you know, there's a very small percentage of the population that can afford to buy those suburb, uh, yes. afford to buy those properties. So it obviously, you know, restricts your buyers, which means if you need to get offloaded in a hurry, it's going to restrict your price. Yeah. But at the same time, um, land content in those areas, so it's land content. So if you've got 600 square meters in Bondi, 
you know, they say, I don't know what it's worth per square metre, but it's going to be worth a lot more than 600 square metres with a house on it. Yeah out in, you know, whoop, whoop. Yeah. And if you own one-sixth of that 600 square metres, which say if you've got an apartment block of six and you own, you know, one-sixth of that property, that's where the money is. Yeah. It's not the apartment that's worth the money. It's it's the share of the land you own that it's sitting on. Yep. Now, there are, there are some areas of Sydney which you would consider maybe blue chip but are lower density. I know that's a bit of a, a strategy of, of Chris's. You look at areas where there are certain height restrictions so we can't get an explosion of supply of similar property exactly. competing with you on the market. Is that – are you sort of just looking at those – blue chip areas where there is a bit of a, a pillow on the face of that's a terrible metaphor but <laughs> <laughs> there, there is something dampening the potential of of increased supply definitely so a lot of these suburbs have height restrictions of say three stories and it's going to stay that way forever yeah um where if you go into say sydney cbd for example and newcastle cbd these are still blue chip locations but there's no limit of supply yep. you know, they can just keep building up which they are especially in newcastle there's a lot of skyscrapers going up yeah, yeah. and even in sydney so you still have to be selective with your suburbs. Yep. And there's still a lot of blue chip suburbs in Sydney, for example, that don't do as well as some of the others. Yep. So it's about getting the right suburb and then the right property in that suburb to get the best performance. Yep. So obviously the suburb does 80% of the lifting, but if you can get that, you know, the right property in, in a good suburb, you're going to outperform the market. Yep. And is that a bit of an idea with the the rental side of it as well? So obviously you're buying an asset where you want competition for rents. Is is that a consideration for you when you look at those areas as well or is yeah. it more about the capital growth? The yields obviously aren't strong because, you know, the prices are so high and they've moved so quickly and, and the rents can't keep up. But your vacancy rates are low, very low. So the way I look at it is say if you're chasing yields and you, your property is getting say 6 or 7% yield, it doesn't take – usually, usually when, you know, you have good yield, the vacancy rate's usually higher in those yeah. properties, I find. So if you have a vacancy period of a month, your yield goes down very, very quickly. Yeah. So people work out yield and say, yeah, this property's getting a great yield. But if, if the property's vacant, yeah. it's not that yield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, say we get 4% or 4.5% in those areas – I've I've never had vacancy in one of my in one of my properties, so it's a genuine four and a half percent yield. Right. Yeah, and I guess that that's the risk return thing. If there's a high yield, there's got to be exactly. some risk built into it. Exactly. And if you've lost a week of rent, you've lost sort of two percent. Exactly, your yield goes down very very quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm interested in the the sort of gearing. So obviously, you're in hardcore acquisition phase. We wouldn't necessarily expect someone to be. Uh, positively geared when, when they're in that acquisition acquisition phase, although some people do do that. Is that, uh, is that because you've got the serviceability, you're on a reasonable income, or is it is it basically hedging the bets against the, the areas being positive capital growth? How, how, do you, how do you manage that and is there a strategy of paying that down or, or adjusting yes. the LVR? So, obviously, yeah, everything's negative at the moment and I, am, I, I do earn a good income for my age, a very yep. good income, which I can afford to cash flow those properties. Um, but obviously, in the future, um, if serviceability gets easier, it's the debt, um, servicing debt yep. situation. So obviously, if it costs $10,000 a year to service a property, if you pull $100,000 equity, in, in reality, if the interest rates don't rise too much, yep. um, it services that property for 10 years. Yep. So that's that's my strategy down the track. I'll, I'll accumulate until I build up a big enough um, base, a wealth base, and then I'll, I'll make sure I set myself up with enough, bu- enough buffers and, and lifestyle cash and all the rest of it. Yeah. 
Awesome. But that that's the plan down the track is to service the debt, you know, with the debt. Yep. Now, the markets that you've purchased in in, in Sydney are, are they're in the media at the moment, not necessarily those areas, but maybe Sydney as a whole. It's come off the boil. We've seen a reduction in transaction volumes. Everyone's sort of championing this crash of the Sydney market, yeah, which yeah. is I think is really in pockets. How do you contrast Sydney as a whole to where you've invested and what are you sort of seeing uh, in terms of the value and, and, and if I may ask, predictions for, for the market? Yeah, so... It's, it's it's very obviously it's the media, but if you if you can't you can't classify Sydney as one market. There is fifty different markets inside Sydney. There's there's probably five different markets in the eastern suburbs. So you've yeah. got obviously your two bedroom apartment um, market. You know that is sort of your eight hundred to one point two one point three million dollars. Then you've got your you know your homeowner market of your your one to two million and your two to four million and your four million plus. So yeah. generalizing the market saying that Sydney market's down is is very false. Now, if you sells look, papers, though, right? Exactly right. But if you look at the numbers, the eastern suburbs of Sydney's clearance rates are still around the seventy percent mark. Yeah, right. And it's the same up here in Newcastle. You look at good quality property in Newcastle, where there was one that just sold down the road from where I bought. It was on the market for a week. So good quality property still sells. Yeah. And that's why I say about these sort of properties are recession proof because yep. they are good quality properties that are always going to be in demand. Yeah. But sure, you know, maybe out west in Sydney where people have leveraged themselves up and and now the banks are getting tighter and no one can borrow money to buy anymore and there's there was a lot of developing going on in Sydney, a lot of new estates going out there. It's getting, yeah, it, it, you know, vacancy rates are going down and, and prices probably are falling a little bit. But at the same time, you can't expect to, say, have 50 to 60 to 80, whatever, whatever it was, 80% growth in five years. Yeah. If you lose ten percent, you're still seventy percent up. Yeah, I think the the media sort of likes. It's almost like there's a press release that's come through that says, you know, Sydney's down ten percent the last year, but then it's you know it's it's still up eighty percent over the last five years. Oh no, we'll cross that out, right? Exactly. We don't want to talk about that. Exactly, and yeah, it sells papers exactly. So that's why they do it. But if you're up eighty percent, you lose ten. Who cares? Yep. And you're not losing money anyway. The only way you're losing money is if you sell. Yeah. If you if you haven't leveraged yourself up too high and you can afford to cash flow the property for the next five years, yeah, you weather the storm. The loss doesn't become real until and you looked at the share price every day. You'd be down every day, yeah, and then the next day it'd have a new high. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you only you only feel the loss if you sell. Yeah, yeah, it takes a different psychology to be a property investor than I, I think maybe someone that's into Bitcoin or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. But in the same in the same right, if you would have you know bought a year ago at the peak of the market. And probably overextended yourself a little bit. Yeah, um, you could be in some trouble. Yeah, you know you don't want to have to force sell. Let's uh, let's test your resolve. You're a blue chip man, but is there any part of you that's looking to regionals? I know you're sort of you're a bit anti the hotspot, but there are regional areas that have got you know reasonable sort of long term growth fundamentals. Is is that something that you'll ever consider? Do you think, or is there just a little bit too much going for the tried and true uh, method of of sticking with those areas that have got the demonstrated long term growth? Yeah. So for me, no. That's that's just me. I, I'm yeah. not into that. That that sort of investing but for a lot of people it's worked I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have done very very well from investing like that you know getting cash flow positive investments and renovating and and, and pulling equity and they've probably done very well but for me and especially at this point in my investment journey that that, that, that's not for me yeah no but if you speak to a lot of people they say yes you know don't worry about blue chip let's invest like this yeah you've been doing all right so far exactly right so 
What is it about Newcastle? You mentioned that you, you're probably looking at another acquisition in the Newcastle sort of area. Why Newcastle as opposed to, to Sydney? And what is it about Newcastle that's got your, your interest at the moment? So with Newcastle, obviously I moved up here uh, for a career change and didn't know a great deal about it. And the more I've researched and looked into Newcastle, the suburbs that I'm, I'm purchasing in have had very, very good long-term you know, growth. Yeah. They're very good suburbs. Yeah. So you can't, again, you can't generalize Newcastle as a whole. There's pockets in Newcastle yeah. that do very well and there's also pockets in Newcastle that don't do so well. Yeah. So, and, and obviously with serviceability being so tight at the moment, uh, with, the, with a cheaper entry price and still that sort of, um, you know, 8 to 10% growth, which is what they've seen here yeah. for, for a long period of time, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. Yeah. But at the same time, if the property doesn't go up for the next five years, I'm not fussed because yeah. I know in the long term yeah. that these properties are, are good quality properties and they will go up. You've got the patience based yeah. on the fundamentals that you've seen as yeah. part of your due diligence. I mean, quick. there's no such thing as quick money. Yeah. And usually if people are chasing instant equity and all the rest of it, easy money, you know, easy come, easy go is the way I see it. Can you talk to us a little bit about your due diligence process? What what do you look for? Let's say you're 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 in the market for for an apartment in Newcastle. Let's say you go back to Sydney, wherever what may be. What are you looking at as part of that process? Sure. So obviously two bedroom plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider one bedroom apartments in Sydney in the east, yeah. but they'd have to be oversized one bedroom apartments. Yeah. Um, there's got to be some sort of scarcity about the property, so mm-hmm. it can't just be the same old two bedroom apartment that 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 fills the rest of the suburb. Um, it has to have parking. Um, and then obviously there's all like little add-ons, obviously north facing, your balconies, yep. um, you know, ocean views. But I, I love the property has, has to stand out. It has to be, it has to be better than the average two bedroom apartment in that suburb. Yeah. So with my apartment in, in Newcastle, there's thousands and thousands of two bedroom apartment in Newcastle. Yeah. But mine is it's beachfront, it's ocean view, it's lock up garage. And you, you can't find those properties every day. So I think the street I'm on, I'm on it's, there's obviously one, one street that runs along the ocean. And I think there's three apartment blocks on it. Yep. So they will never be repeated. Yep. And, and that's what I look for. And then obviously with due diligence, it's, you know, your strata, your pest. I get an independent valuation every time I purchase a property. Yep. So it's virtually an insurance policy. I don't, I don't let myself decide the property price, I let a professional do it. And yeah. if he tells me, you know, it's worth X amount, that's what yeah. the property's worth. Yeah. And I don't get emotional about it. And what about the property management side of things? So obviously you've got the properties, you've got people in place that are looking after you. What what have you sort of learned there? Do you have any sort of tips for investors in managing their portfolio? Yeah. So obviously I'd never, ever, ever self-manage. It's yeah. too much of a headache. Um, and it, it, you, you interview these type of people. So, you know, you... You sit them down and have a chat about what they think the property, you know, is going to receive in rent and, and how they're going to go about business and how they're going to attract tenants when obviously vacant, when when tenant periods are up, and and you put trust in someone. And so far, I've I've um, I've put trust in a company in Bondi called um, Henderson Power. Yep. And they've done exceptional. I've strong, never had vacancy. Strong name. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It'd be easy for you to, to to buy a slice of that down the yeah, track. Yeah. You're already on the on the front door. And and. It's about building relationships as well. So yeah. I've built really, really strong relationships with everyone that I, I do property dealings with and it makes everything a lot easier. Yeah. So I have no issues. I've, I've got an arrange, arrangement with my property manager to say if, if it's not under $500, if it's not over $500, don't bother ringing me, just get it fixed. Keep yeah. the tenants happy. If you keep the tenants happy, they'll keep you happy. Yeah. 
And is that a is that a real sort of sticking point for you? Like, I, I, there are a number of, number of times where in the depreciation work we do, we have uh, tenants saying we won't let you in because the owner won't fix a two dollar tap. Exactly. Um, is, is that an important part for for you that the tenants feel like they've got someone that's going to take care of that stuff and they pay you the same respect because they can do a lot more damage exactly. than what they're costing you in a legitimate repair, right? Exactly right. So, I make sure that my tenants are happy, very, very happy because at the end of the day, without tenants, your portfolio collapses very, very quickly. Yeah. So, even little things. So, like at Christmas time, every Christmas, I make sure my property managers take around a Christmas hamper or a, or a leg of ham or something just to show that you care because you do care. Yeah. Because I look at property as a business and, yeah. and they're like your clients. Yeah. So, you look after your clients and your clients look after you. Yeah. I think that's pretty good advice. Yeah. So, Jack, for, for people that are wanting to get in touch with you and uh, talk to you about uh, any tips that you might have, obviously down the track you may potentially be able to help them secure property such as what yeah. we've discussed today. How, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So, at the moment, it would just be Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram yeah. and they're all just Jack Henderson. Yeah. And I'm happy to answer any questions, introduce them to people if they need, you know, mortgage brokers, buyers, agents, wealth management, whatever. So, I, I get quite a lot of questions now through podcasts and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah don't hesitate. Send me a message. And what's the sort of motivation for, for you jumping on the podcast and, and, and sharing the story? You're, you're clearly very passionate about it. Is, is this just a, a genuine passion for sharing your story? or It you- is. And because um, obviously I'm young, I'm a millennial, they probably don't have a... Millennials in general don't have like a great drive when it comes to property. They think obviously a lot, they sell a lot of stuff in the media. It's too expensive. I'm never going to be able to afford a property. So it it, it resonates a lot with millennials, yep. with younger people. And I, I just generally love talking about property. So I could I could do this all day every day. <laughs> um, you've mentioned that property teams important. Um, obviously, you use a few different professionals as part of the the due diligence, as we discussed before. And I've noticed you surround yourself by movers and shakers, people that perhaps are where you want to be in, in 10 years or whatever. How how important has that mentoring been for you? And how important is that property team to, to, to your investing? Huge, huge. I mean, surrounding yourself with the best people you possibly can is it's, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Because if there's any issues, if there's questions, if if you need something, there's always someone there that can help you and guide you in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, without the team around you, I believe that's how a lot of people make mistakes, and that's how you hear a lot of you know catastrophes and property property stories that don't go too well. And I believe that's because they don't surround themselves with with the right people and they don't get the right advice. Yeah. And how have you found the people that you've approached in general? Obviously, buying a charity lunch works pretty damn well. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to pop up for everybody. But how have you found people in general? People I, want to help. Yeah. I, I honestly believe people want to help. And there's there's not too many people that you I believe that you could approach. And it's so easy now with social media. It's literally a click of a button and you can send anyone a message. Yeah. And and if they don't reply, move on to the next person. Like it's you've got nothing to lose. If they yeah. say no, they say no. But if they say yes, you've got a massive thing to gain. Yeah. So... But yeah, surrounding yourself with those people is is crucial in, yeah. in, in success. That's good advice as well. I mean, there are certain people that I thought, ah, they're not going to want to come on the podcast. And they're like, when do you start? And then I have to send, send them to my assistant to try and find a point in my calendar. I'm like, this is really embarrassing. These people are gurus. People but- want to help. And, and, and it, it works well for them too because if they help someone and that person talks to their friend and that friend talks to the friend and they, you know, well, it gets around that they're a good person. Yeah. And if they're a good person, obviously, you know, business as well. Yeah, yeah, some of the sort of exactly factors right. in for sure. Yeah, I believe that they people genuinely want to help. 
yeah, they generally want to help. So, so Jake, if there's one piece of advice that you could impart to to property investors and and perhaps people that are, are, are I guess wanting to get a start like yourself or maybe they're a little bit older and they haven't sort of kicked along to the degree that they they see themselves heading in the right direction if you had to pick one thing yeah, what so do you think that would be I guess if you're an early starter like you you know it's play the long game don't yeah. look for quick money because it, it's not there it doesn't happen yeah so it's play the long game get educated and if you don't want to get educated, go and source the right professional. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, if you're further in life, I believe go and speak to professionals because there's a lot of great people out there that'll that'll put you in the right direction and get you well on your way to creating some sort of financial success for yourself. Awesome. So yeah, definitely. You've definitely played a long game. You've put a fire under people's bottom, but also taught them to be patient. So I don't know how you've managed it, but you've managed it well, Jack. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me, mate. We'll talk soon. Beautiful. Cheers. Mm-hmm.